pray this finds you having a blessed day today. Looking forward to getting into James chapter 3. We started off with verses 1 through 2 last uh, time, and we, we really began looking at this idea of James talking about being qualified and called when it comes to teaching, and that with teaching, understand that we're going to be held more accountable. Um, and so uh, we're going to pick up here with what I'm going to call uh, the tongue part one. Um, because we're going to have um, over the next few podcasts, because we're going to kind of walk slowly through this, um, we're going to be looking at what James is. Um, he, he's going to be giving us some very simplistic and practical um, information here concerning how vital our language is how vital our tongue is when it comes to us serving the Lord and our Christian walk and how we live our lives. I think sometimes, and and I'll tell you, I believe that this is a very important passage of Scripture in today's culture especially. And and I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say. I'm not not trying to be disparaging. but I, I feel that I can say with as much as I've had to do, whether it be counseling, whether it be talking with people, people today have a lot of trouble communicating. Um, I, I'll give you an idea. I remember doing marriage counseling with a couple who just was, was talking to me and they just struggling so bad. And... One of the things that I will say to every married couple, and I've done it, and I'm a big proponent of it, your marriage will rise and fall on communication. A lot of people say, well, no, trust is the most important. Well, you can't trust somebody you don't communicate with. Love is important. Well, you you can't love somebody you don't communicate with. I can sit down and, and, and fight back consistently and tell you that if there is not proper communication in your marriage, then there is not going to be good times in your marriage. Same way when it comes to your relationship with the Lord. If you're not communicating with the Lord on a regular basis, whether it be in His Word or in prayer, you're not going to have a great relationship with the Lord. Communication is absolutely vital in order to develop and build relationships. And when we look at the way that we talk or or our communication, if, if we don't see... If we don't see the necessity of it and invest in it, it's going to cause problems. Well, this specific couple, to give you an idea, I would ask them, you know, hey, what's wrong? And they would say, well, he doesn't do this or she doesn't do this or he always does this. And they kept on. I said, well, how, how do you all communicate? I said, you know, do you all, when you, when you get home from work, you know, do you sit down? Do you, you kind of hash out your day? Do you sit down and kind of vent? You know, when you have a problem, how do you handle it? And they would, they, with without, even thinking that this was an issue. They said, yeah, we, we, we'll normally sit in the same room and we'll, we'll just text each other. I said, come again? Yeah, we'll just sit in the same room. He's sitting over there in his chair and I'm sitting over here on the couch and we'll just, we'll just text back and forth. I said, instead of you all sitting in the same room, looking at each other, making eye contact, communicating with each other and dealing with the situations you got going on like grown adults, y'all sit there and text back and forth. And you may say, well, Jeremiah, that sounds like an absolutely stupid, you know, uh, 
situation. And no wonder they're married. Well, listen, we do the same exact thing in the in majority of our lives. We spend more time communicating with people through an electronic device than we do eye-to-eye and face-to-face anymore. We spend more time text messaging people, messaging them on Facebook. We spend more time doing things on an electronic device than we actually do communicating with people. And here's the problem with that. You may say, well, Jeremiah, are you against electronic devices? No. Here's the problem. When you text me, I can't see your eyes. I can't see your facial expressions. I can't hear the tone in which you say things. I can't read your body language. You can send me a text message and I can read into that text message whatever I want to read into it because I'm not able to see how you're delivering it. I'm not able to see what you're, how, how you're really meaning it when you say it. And that really matters. But here's the other problem. Not only am I not able to really understand and see what you're doing, what you're saying, and, and how you're meaning it, it gives some people license to be harsh, rude, and unkind. I call them keyboard warriors. You've probably had somebody else call them that. It's people that love to hide behind a keyboard and they say whatever they want to say because they don't feel like they're going to have repercussions. They don't have to take accountability for what they type. You see it all the time in our culture, especially in our our, uh, society when it comes to either athletes or, you know, prominent people they'll make some kind of a statement they'll type you know whatever they feel at the moment and then they have to come back out and they have to recant and they have to say I apologize you know for and it's because what we do is we don't have to face accountability and then even when we say it and somebody calls our hand on it we give this half-hearted apology because it's what we're supposed to do not because we actually mean it and so we don't even know how to communicate anymore because we just feel that I can do and say whatever I want to say without any repercussions, and that's not the case. So here's where I'm wanting to start this with. You may say, well, you know, we haven't even got into Scripture. You're right, we haven't. I'm laying a foundation before we even get there because here's the thing that I want us to be able to understand. Growing up, the majority of us who are probably listening to this podcast right now, if you're a younger person listening to this podcast, you may not have heard this, but some of us older people, Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's the dumbest nursery rhyme that anybody could ever have given us. Because words hurt worse than sticks and stones. Broken bones heal. Sometimes broken hearts don't. Sometimes the mental damage is worse than any broken bone could could be. We, I'm afraid, do not recognize the power of words. And James is getting ready to really kind of dive into that here when we're going into these verses. He's going to be talking about the significance of words. But what I want us to do as well is not only do I want us to look at this from a cultural standpoint, but I want us to look at this from the church standpoint because here's where I really want to take this. Some of the meanest, most unkind, most harsh people that I've ever met sit in church pews on Sunday mornings. I want to make sure you hear what I heard what I just said. Some of the meanest, most unkind, most harsh people I have ever met in my life sit in church pews on Sunday morning. You know why? Because they use religion to be able to be a crutch to do and say whatever they want to say. 
they will sit in the church and they will be as mean and harsh and critical towards other people. They won't do it outside of the church, but they'll do it inside the church. You know why? Because they know that the majority of people who are true Christ followers are not going to try to be confrontational, start arguments or whatever it may be. They're not going to be harsh, meaning unkind. And these people use that platform of religiosity in order to attack other people and it's sickening. I've had it done to me numerous times. And it hurts and it affects you. And it stays with you. And I will tell you, it is the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my entire life is to stand up on Sunday morning and preach and someone who has treated me like garbage and talked to me more harsh than when I was even talked to in the military, sitting out there in that pew, looking me back in the face as if nothing in the world has ever happened. That is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. Because I would love to go back and just either give them a piece of my mind lose my religion for a moment and treat them the way that they've treated me. But if you've got Christ in your heart, you can't, which I'll let you read between the lines what I'm saying by that. Some of those people that treat you that way don't have Christ in their heart. They're just glorified Pharisees sitting in church pews. And that's why they can act the way that they act. They don't recognize the damage. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So not only is, and I want us to keep the context here, that not only is James going to be able to let this be a broad statement when it comes to cultural and social, but it's also a statement that was within the church. And also, you know, with this context of him talking about teaching and saying, understand, you have ability to direct people when you teach, whenever you talk. Your communication, the way that you teach God's Word, the way that you talk, the way that you guide, you have authority over people and you can use that authority and and you can do bad things with it. So there's an awful lot that is going to be going into the next couple of verses here. And, and, and I want, that's why I, I guess I'm laying this groundwork to help you guys to understand it's going to take us a little bit of time to get through here because I want to walk through this slowly and I want to make sure that we, we honor what is being said here that, and look at it from all these different facets to not just try to sit down and, and you know look at one or two but to be able to look at it from every kind of example we can. So let's just jump into verses 3 through 4 here now that we've got this context laid out, this foundation laid out. James says in chapter 3, verse 3, Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. So now James again has laid out the, the context of You know, not many should want to become teachers. Understand that you're going to receive a stricter judgment. Understand, you know, the the significance behind that. And I talked about being called and qualified because, see, here's the thing. If you're called and qualified, you're going to understand the seriousness of being able to teach God's Word. And you're not going to be frivolous with it. All right? 
And then James goes into this idea, if anyone, uh, for we all stumble. And we're all going to have a slip of the tongue. We're all going to say things that we shouldn't. We're all going to have moments that something comes out of our mouth. You know, I had a, a teacher in high school, Coach Strauss, would always say this. Once the toothpaste out the tube, you can't put it back in. You know, and that's why we've got to be so cautious with our words because sometimes we really want to say what's on our mind. But we, if we do, man, are we willing to suffer the consequences and repercussions for it? And I think sometimes we're not. I think sometimes we don't realize and understand that we have the ability and, and, and the power to be able to direct people's lives as a, as a teacher of, of God's Word. And so what he does is now he goes to these two illustrations and he uses um, these two specific examples of the bit and the rudder. Understand, both are very small tools that affect a larger source. So what James is doing is he's saying, you know, when you think about the bit, in, when you think about a horse, you think about this powerful, muscular, majestic animal, but yet this animal, as powerful as it is, can completely be controlled by a bit in its mouth. You put a bit in its mouth and you have the range, you can pull on that, and there, the horse is, is, is at your wheel. You look at a ship and you think about how big a ship is. But then you, you, you go and you understand how small the rudder is. That if you just turn the rudder one degree, two degree, it, it can make a significant difference in that whole ship. It guides the whole entire ship. Not only does it affect, but it's vital to control. Not only does the bit affect the horse, but it controls it. Not only does the rudder affect the ship, but it controls the ship. What James is saying your tongue, many times you don't even give a thought to your tongue. But think about what your tongue can do. Think about the damage. Think about the significance. Think about all of this. And James is saying, listen, your tongue can completely control you. Your tongue can be used to bring life into someone's life or bring death. Don't miss that. As I said, in the book of Proverbs, it tells us that there's the power of life and death in the tongue. Have you ever been in a situation where you have been just down and you've been discouraged and someone comes up and, and they just... It's like when they speak to you, it's like this soothing. As the Bible says, the balm of Gilead. You know, it just, their words, you, you literally and tangibly feel the difference in your, your soul, your heart, and your mind when this person comes up and says these words of life into you. And vice versa, whenever you're sitting here and someone takes their words and and to, to slap you or punch you in the face would have been better than for them to have done what they just done. You literally and tangibly feel your heart hurt. Your mind cannot process the information of what that person just said 
the level of hurt that you just received from that person, you can't process it. I know you know what, if you've had that experience, you just went there. You just went there and, and you you can almost go back and you can feel both of those. You can feel that soothingness from the words of life and you can feel that pain and hurt from the, the words of death. You also can, can understand and, and when I say this, you're going to have a face pop into your head, but you know those people that you just love being around because you know that they are a positive person. They are, they are a person that, that <clears throat> is edifying and encouraging. They're a Barnabas. And man, when you're around them, you can just feel better. You can just feel the positive energy coming from them. You can feel the words of life coming from them. But you also know the people that you try to stay away from as much as you can because it seems like every time you're around them, there's just nothing but death coming out of their mouth. Criticism, harshness, judgmentalism, not having a kind word to say about anybody. And when you're around them, it's just you feel yourself just kind of discouragement just washing all over you. The reason I'm giving these couple of examples here is because I want us, as we're walking through this passage here, to be able to understand the significance of the power of our words, the power of our tongue, and what we can do. You know, I grew up in, in what we call mountain preaching there in the, the mountains of Virginia, the coal mining towns. And man, I can still remember so many of these guys. I can sit here and tell you their names. And they would be up and they would they would preach. And I mean, they would be red-faced. They'd be yelling to the top of their lungs. And it was what we would call hellfire and brimstone preaching. And I'm going to say something and I, I want you to hear what I'm getting ready to say because I know a lot of people would look at it and say, Jeremiah, I can't believe you're saying this. I never felt any love in any of that. I felt nothing but fear. I'm not saying they were, they were not godly men. But what I am saying is when they would stand and they would try to deliver God's word, I did not feel any love whatsoever from them when they preached. I made a statement here a couple weeks ago because on Sunday nights I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm actually in, and it kind of can be used and tied right into this. I'm in Matthew chapter 7. You know, Jesus says, if you, if you go over, I'll flip over there and I'll read it for you because it's, 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 it lines right up with what we're talking about and the idea of being critical and everything, Jesus says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but do not notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take out the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take out the beam of wood in your eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. 
I've been talking about the idea of critical and harsh judgment and how that it's so easy for us to look at somebody else's life and be super critical. And a lot of times we don't even realize the language in which we, we say things and the way that we deliver it. There's a difference in being a fruit inspector in somebody's life and being overly critical. If, if I'm sitting here and I see a fellow brother in Christ who is just struggling right now and I see that they're letting sin into their life, I can go up to them and I can say, you know, what in the world is your problem? Do you not see how stupid you are? Now think about the, you know, the delivery. Or go up and say, hey, you know, brother, I just want you to know I've been praying for you and I've been noticing here lately that it just seems like there's some things changing. Is there any way I can be praying for you? Is there anything that's going on in your life that, that, that you maybe, you know, you'd want to talk about or anything that I can kind of encourage you with and help you with? See, one is delivered with love. <coughs> and so I go back to the example that I was talking about when I grew up with this mountain preaching. Sometimes you can be right and not be right. Yeah, what you might be saying is right, but the way you deliver it is not. You can be right in what you're saying, but your delivery is so wrong it's not received. If I walk up to somebody's house today and I knock on their door and I say, Hey, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? If you don't, you're going to hell. I'm right. But do you think I'm going to be received? No. So what good was it for me to be right if I wasn't received? The message that I just delivered, I wanted them to hear that message. But because I delivered it wrongly, there's no way they heard that message. What they heard was hate. What they heard was, you just condemned me to hell. What they heard was, I don't want nothing to do with you. Now here's the difference. What if I go up to somebody's door, I knock on their door and I say, hey, you know what? I'm just in the neighborhood and I just wanted to come by and let you know that I belong over here to fill in the blank church. I just want you to know that, man, you're loved and we want to pray for you. Is there any way we can pray for you or serve your family? Wow. I've never had anybody come to my door and tell me that they want to pray for me and serve my family. Guess what you just done? You just earned the opportunity to be able to speak more into their life because you loved them up front. And see, what we need to understand, you say, well, why are you bringing this up? Because that's the model Jesus used. Think about the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus didn't walk up and say, boy, I'm going to tell you, you sure are. A rough woman. They, they probably call you the town prostitute. You've been married to five guys and the one you're with now is not even your husband. Whoa, you are a rough woman. No, he walked up and said, ma'am, can you give me a drink of water? And he broke all social norms and all cultural taboo because... Number one, a man was not supposed to speak to a woman in public without her husband being present. Number two, a Jew was not supposed to speak to a Samaritan. They couldn't stand each other. 
And yet Jesus just simply looks at her and says, Ma'am, can I have a drink of water? I'm tired. I'm wore out. I'm sitting here beside this well. I've been walking all day long. And it caused this woman to go, wow. This is the first guy who just talked to me normally. This is the first guy who didn't treat me like a piece of property. He just, he just asked me for a drink of water. And she initially started a casual conversation with him, which led her to get saved and revival to break out in her town. All because Jesus asked for a cup of water. Same thing happened to Zacchaeus. Here's a man who's hated so much so that I'm sure if everybody could sit down and say, man, if I could have five minutes alone with Zacchaeus, I'd beat that money out of him. Zacchaeus climbing up in a sycamore tree. Everybody else hates him. Everybody else can't stand him. Zacchaeus has no friends. Everybody is just absolutely just fed up with Zacchaeus. Jesus walks by and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, I'd love to go to your house and have dinner today. Probably cause Zacchaeus to go, Come again? You actually want to spend time with me? See, it opened him up to receptivity. See, and you go back to what, Jesus, what James was saying here. Not many should become teachers. Why? Because I think sometimes what we do is we think my job is to shove the Bible down your throat and to just scare, I'm going to say it, to scare the hell out of you. Because that's really what a lot of, I've even had preachers say that from the pulpit. My job is to scare the hell out of you. No, it's not. Your job is to teach me that Jesus died on a cross for my sins. That's the difference. And see, what happens is, is we, we, we as teachers or we as leaders or we as preachers, we too often think that it's our job to be forceful with God's Word, to sit and drive God's Word down your throat, to make sure that you know we, we take Jesus and we try to cram a square peg in a round hole. Listen, it does not work. And that is not the model that Jesus used. And I'm, I'm going to say this and it's going to... Again, and this is why I want you to understand, I'm trying to be cautious with some of the stuff that I'm saying because it can be misconstrued. But if there's people up here that, that teach and preach and say, my job is to scare the hell out of you, they have never read the Gospels. And they've never seen how Jesus taught. They've never seen the way that Jesus preached. Jesus, it says, more times than not. I read it this morning in the book of Mark in my quiet time. And Jesus saw the crowd and he had compassion upon them and he taught them. What's the difference in teaching with compassion and teaching to confront? See, if you want to be confrontational, yeah, you may have a few people that want to listen, but you're not going to have many. And can I tell you something? Being compassionate does not mean weak. It doesn't mean watering the Scripture down. It doesn't mean giving a different version of Jesus. What it means is you're teaching the same way that Jesus did. We had a saying back home, you can catch more flies with honey than you can a fly strip. I don't know how many people would even know about this especially some of younger people if you're listening, but used to in your houses whenever you would have a bunch of flies during the spring or summertime, you know, you'd open up the windows to let some good fresh air in and flies would come in. 
and you could hang these fly strips down. And they were real sticky, so that way if the fly would land on it, they would stick and, you know, they, you'd catch them that way. But they never worked real well. But we always said you catch more flies with honey because they would all gravitate towards it. You know, that's the reason why people gravitated towards Jesus because the Pharisees were harsh in the way that they treated people. They were critical of other people. Jesus was compassionate. See, the way that we teach others is going to be very critical because it's going to determine how they're going to receive or if they're going to receive God's Word. It doesn't matter if you have a charismatic personality. It doesn't matter if you're handsome or beautiful. That little thing in your mouth called a tongue, just like the bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder on the ship, is going to determine whether or not people are going to listen to the gospel. But now I want to also make another caveat with this. It can also be very scary because you can not only use that tongue to be harsh and critical, you can use that tongue to manipulate I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. I remember whenever I was a youth pastor, I took my students to this camp. I had never heard of this this speaker, and it was one of the camps that our state association was doing. And I kind of called some of our state association leaders, and I just said, hey, you know, can you give me some, some background on this guy so that way I can kind of share? And You know, they're like, oh, he's got like the most amazing story you know he was a he, he grew up and he was just in this horrible life and you know his his dad was a, a drug addict and an alcoholic and you know he just lived in this horrible home life and then he grew up and he become a drug addict and alcoholic and you know he was radically saved and all this I was like wow okay you know I'm, I'm guessing he must have a great story he must have a great you know testimony and so I was sharing with my kids I said you know this guy Seems to be having, you know, this great story, this great powerful testimony and all this. And so we go and we're sitting there that night and this guy gets up there. He's he's not loud and boisterous and confrontational or harsh in any way. You know, he's he's up there. He's got him a skateboard and he's got tattoos and everything on him. And he was talking about, you know, he kind of started off by saying, you know, a lot of people know him. Um, he lived out in California and... You know, he has uh, this, this skateboard ministry that he's got. And he said, you know, I know a lot of people may look at it and say that, you know, how do you have a skateboard ministry? But, you know, it's a way that I can reach people that nobody else is reaching because, you know, there's a lot of people that um, think that people who do skateboards are weird or, you know, that they, they uh, you know, are this or that. And so he, he was just kind of sharing a lot of that. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah, it's pretty neat, you know, skateboard ministry. And so he, he kind of gets in. I'm like, I'm waiting for him to break out scripture. I'm waiting for him to start preaching a sermon. And, you know, he, he really doesn't. He kind of shares his testimony. And then he comes to the end, and I'm sitting here, and it's like, okay, he's never really presented Jesus in any way, shape, form, or fashion. He's never presented the gospel in any way. He's never talked about the 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 sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross, the repentance of sins. He's never really went into any of that. And he goes into this time of response. And this is how he does his time of response. Man, if you've ever grown up in a hard home life, I want to encourage you to come forward and get saved. If, you're, if your parents have ever been abusive to you, I, 
man, I know what you're going through, and I, I just want to want to offer you the opportunity to come forward and get saved. And he goes down this list of all of these things, and I'm looking down my row here, and I got some of my kids snotting, you know, I mean, snot like hanging down to their knees and boo-hooing, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, because that's what happens a lot of times with these student camps is you got this guy up there who's getting, you know, he, he, he tugs on the emotional heartstrings. And I had a couple of my kids, they started to get up and I grabbed them by their, their shirt and I threw them back down in the seat and I said, you are not going up forward. I said, if you want to get saved, we're going to, I'm going to present the gospel to you right now because what this guy just did is not presenting the gospel to you. This guy has tugged on your emotional heartstring and what you're going to do is you're going to go forward. You're going to be having snot down to your knees. You're going to be crying and everybody's going to be hugging in a kumbaya moment and you're going to sit down and somebody's going to tell you, you know what? You come forward and you got saved today and you no more got saved than the demons in hell got saved. You went forward and you made this emotional decision because this guy pulled on your heartstrings. You no more met Jesus than anything else because you couldn't have met Jesus because he was never presented to you. And this guy, there was probably four or five hundred people come forward to the altar that night. And what I want you to understand, and I'm going, you say, why did you bring that up? Because I'm going back to what James said. Not many should become teachers. You're going to be held accountable for that. That man is going to be held accountable for the fact that there are kids who went forward that night who believe that they're saved and they no more met Jesus. You say, Jeremiah, that's awful harsh. How can you determine that? You can't meet someone you were never presented with. They, he never presented them Jesus. He never offered them Jesus. He offered them emotionalism because they grew up in an abused home. And what happened is he used his platform to manipulate. I told you about the a lot of the mountain preachers that I grew up with. They used their platform and they would point blank tell you, my job is to scare the hell out of you. No, it's not. And there's a lot of people that they damaged because there was a lot of people sitting in that church pew on that Sunday morning who may have went forward and said, you know what, I just don't want to go to hell. I don't know anything about you. I don't even know anything about being saved. And what they've done is they went forward, they got saved, but then they didn't go back to church again because they said, I don't want to go back and hear that anymore. You know why? Because most of those guys could never get past that sermon. Most of those guys would never sit down and go verse by verse and teach God's word because they couldn't. The only thing they could do is get up in front of people and yell and scream at them about how bad hell was and how bad of a person that they were. And they think because somebody come forward that they got saved. Listen, there's no life transformation. So you had the people who used God's word as a sledgehammer trying to scare the hell out of people. Then you had the people like this guy who used God's word and really didn't even use God's word. He just used God, if you will, to manipulate and twist and emotionally cause people to, to make decisions. These men used that little tiny thing in their mouth called a tongue and... and, and They used it in order to try to get people to make decisions. Do you know one thing Jesus never did? Jesus never begged anybody to follow Him. 
I'm going to give you... I'm a very firm... If, if a pastor does not give an altar call, I don't have much respect for that pastor. I don't. I believe you should always give an altar call in a time of response. But I also will tell you this. If you're ever sitting in a church service where I preach, when I give a time of response and there's some music playing, I don't sit there and try to manipulate the crowd. There's a lot of preachers that one of the things that they do whenever the time of response comes, they, they have that music playing and they try to make sure that they have that, that emotionalistic you know, atmosphere going. And what they do is they try to, to use that time to, to really say certain things that they know is going to pull on the emotional heartstrings of people to get them to make decisions. I don't see Jesus ever doing that. I don't see Jesus trying to manipulate people with with the right verbiage. That's why I don't say anything during time of response because I want the Holy Spirit to do the work, not me. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of their sins, not me. My job is to sow the seed of the Word of God. My job is to take God's Word. I'm not to change it. I'm just to heat it up and I'm just to serve it. I'm not to go fix God's Word in the kitchen. God's already fixed it and cooked it. All i got to do is carry it out. I'm the servant. I take God's Word from the kitchen and I bring it out and set it on the table and say, here it is. That's it. But there's so many people that they have to have that decision. They've got to be able to use the opportunity to manipulate. And the real question is this, is if you have to manipulate somebody in order to get them to come forward and make a decision, guess what? Somebody else can manipulate them too. So when you sit down and you look, and and, and this is kind of where I want us to, 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 to really start landing the plane here. What I, want, I hope you see what I'm talking about here. When it comes to what James is saying, that not many should become teachers, not many should become these people in authority to teach God's Word. When I, when I done the podcast last week, or the last one that we just done about making sure that you're called and qualified, this is why. Because there's a lot of people, and, I, and are you saying, well, Jeremiah, you're awful arrogant saying you are. I never said that I am. The only thing I know this is God called me, and I try to do the best that I can with it. But I also try to model what I do and, and the, 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 the methodology that Jesus used. Jesus spoke the truth in love. Jesus was compassionate when He saw people broken and hurting. Jesus didn't try to manipulate people. Jesus didn't take the Word and beat people over the head with it like it was a sledgehammer. I remember there was one guy sitting in, he sat on the second pew. And he was lost and everybody knew it. I mean, everybody knew this guy was lost and there was a lot of preachers who took it as their personal responsibility to make sure that, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be the guy that preaches the sermon that saves this guy. And I remember there was a guy, he he come down from the pulpit, he put his, one, his right foot on the front pew and leaned over, looked at this guy and said, can you feel the flames of hell and the hell fire on you right now sitting in that seat? Can I tell you, 
That is not the way to let somebody know Jesus loves them. I can promise you this, that that man sitting there did not sit down and say, you know what? Man, that right there is what causes me to, to realize I need to be saved is you getting in my face and asking me if I can feel the flames of hell. Why did he do that? Because he has no idea how to communicate. See, what I'm getting at is that if we're called, if you're sitting here and you're listening to this podcast and you teach in any way or you preach in any way, understand the gravity of the call on your life. Understand that you have an opportunity to be able and the privilege to be able to make the gospel known. To understand the seriousness of that. To understand that the power of life and death is in your words towards someone. You, by the way that you present Jesus to someone, can cause them to be repelled by Jesus and repulsed by Jesus or cause them to be repulsed by their sin and want to repel their sin and run to Jesus. But also understand that it's not your job to manipulate people's emotions. It's not your job to sit down and try to you know, use your, your words to manipulate people into making a decision so that way you can look at it. That's why I'm going to tell you, it irritates me and bothers me so bad when you go to these different things and someone says, oh, we had 500 people come forward and receive Jesus. You don't know that. But it sounds so good. I remember even here recently, I took, I'm, I'm kind of helping lead some of the student ministry. And, and I took some of our students to a conference here not long ago. And I remember that I was really bothered with the way that one of the guys, and he's a very well-known speaker. I've listened to him numerous times. And I don't know, maybe he was just having a, an off day because I know the night before we had somebody preach. And man, God, but God did use that one. And this was the next morning. And there was a lot of just, you know, it didn't seem like the, the, that night there was just, I don't know, you could just feel the, the Holy Spirit moving that night. And the next morning it was just kind of dull, I'll be honest with you. It just, And I don't know if he was trying to force it or what, but man, he just made his time of response last like 20 minutes. And it was every kind of scenario that you could come up with. I mean, it was like, if, if, you, if you've just broke up with a girlfriend or whatever, broke up with a boyfriend, yeah, raise your hand, yeah. And, and it's, it's constantly raising your hand, come forward, raise your hand, come forward. And there was all these different scenarios and it was just like, dude, shut up. I'm just going to extend it a little bit longer. I'm just going to extend it a little bit. Listen. What you're telling me right now is you didn't get the response that you wanted so that way you could gloat and say, wow, look how many people come forward. And what you're doing is you're just trying to make and manufacture something. See, when you manipulate, that's what you're doing. You're manufacturing. And if you're manufacturing, then that means that the Holy Spirit isn't doing it. Because when the Holy Spirit does it, you don't have to manufacture anything. Things just happen. It's not my job to save people. It's not my job to convict people. It's my job to preach the word and sow the seed. 
So if you're called to teach and you're called to preach, please don't use the Word of God as a sledgehammer. Please don't use your words to try to manipulate people. Please understand the power of uh, of life and death in the tongue and realize that your words carry a lot of weight. And understand that you're going to have to answer to God for the things that you say. I pray this has really been a challenge and a blessing to you. I know we didn't get very far. We're going, like I said, we're going to walk slowly. We'll pick back up again in our next part as, as we continue looking in James 3 at the tongue. I pray most of all that if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, that you understand Jesus did love you enough to die on Calvary's cross for you, that He paid your sin debt on Calvary so you didn't have to. And yes, because of salvation, you don't have to go to hell, but that's not the reason why He did it. He, he didn't try to save you from hell. He saved you to Himself. Because he wants to spend eternity with you. And I encourage you to find somebody to talk to today and understand what it means to repent of your sins and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I pray if this has been an encouragement with you, share it with somebody. Be able to give a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening to and give a review. Also, if you're looking for some reading material, I encourage you to check out the book I wrote, The Reality of the Enemy. You can get it on Amazon or you can get it on barnesandnoble.com being able to help you with some direction and understanding of the tactics of the enemy. Um, and plus, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in the process of getting ready to write my second book right now, and so I'm hoping that it'll be done soon, um, and it'll be a, a blessing when it comes out. Uh, so be praying for that. So we look forward to getting back into this time uh, in our next podcast, and I pray this has given you some things to think about in the way that you communicate and the power of the way that you use your words. Pray you have a blessed day.